Welcome, teachers, to another insightful episode inside the Literacy Lounge. Today, we're diving into the often unspoken bridge between upper elementary and middle school English language arts, exploring the untold aspects that middle school ELA teachers wish their counterparts in upper elementary knew. Joining us in this episode is a great friend of mine, Caitlin Mitchell. She is the co-founder of EB Academics, a trailblazing company dedicated to empowering middle school ELA teachers. Alongside her colleague, Jessica Kanata, Caitlin co-hosts the renowned podcast, Teaching Middle School ELA, and manages the enlightening YouTube channel, EB Academics for Middle School ELA Teachers. Their collective expertise has not only provided valuable advice, but also inspired countless educators in achieving a harmonious work-life balance. Caitlin brings a wealth of experience to our conversation, holding a master's degree with a specialization in curriculum and development and in secondary education with an impressive teaching background. Of course, you'll hear that in the episode, spanning high school, middle school, and fifth grade levels, totally nine years, Caitlin's dedication to her education earned her the prestigious Teacher of the Year Award from the LAX Coastal Chamber of Commerce. Beyond the classroom, Caitlin is actively involved in her educational community, serving as the Board of Directors for the Principled Entrepreneurship Institute at Martin Catholic High School. Notably, she has cultivated a culture with her company and community, focusing on mindset shifts to foster growth and success in her careers. In this episode today, guys, it's a long one, but oh my gosh, it is so good. We uncover the aspects that occasionally leave middle school ELA teachers feeling disgruntled and explore the positive changes that upper elementary school teachers can make to support their students' seamless transition into the middle school environment. So get ready for a true, honest, candid, and constructive conversation as we navigate the terrain between upper elementary and middle school ELA with the insightful Caitlin Mitchell. Stay tuned for practical tips, shared experiences, and a deeper understanding of the journey our students embark upon. Let's dive in and bridge this gap together. Teaching skills like reading comprehension doesn't have to be overwhelming. With the right tools and strategies in place, you can find success for you and your students. Step into the Literacy Lounge, the podcast that will give you the what, why, and how to elevate your literacy instruction and get the results you've always wanted. Here's your host and veteran elementary school teacher, Sierra Harris. Hi, Caitlin. Welcome inside the Literacy Lounge. I'm so excited to have you on as a guest today. How are you? I am great. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to talk about you know, ELA and how it pertains to elementary, middle school, the crossover, all that stuff. It's going to be great. Yeah, I think this is going to be a fantastic episode. You know, when I think back to when I was in the classroom, I always worried about whether or not I was doing a good enough job. And I wanted so badly to be a fly on the wall inside my students' classrooms when they moved on into middle school. You know, did I do a good job? What did those middle school teachers think? Like, where do I need to be spending my time based on their feedback and what they thought? So having you on the show today is just going to be a 
game changer for our listeners who maybe have thought and felt the same way. Like if they're teaching upper elementary school and they are sending their students off, they probably have those same thoughts and feelings. So I'm so excited to kind of dive in and pick your brain to see, you know, where elementary teachers could really be supporting their middle school teachers more and maybe what what changes or reflections they need to be making to just make this whole cohesive educational journey for their students better. Yeah. I mean, I think this is a great topic and it is interesting. You know, I think I come with a unique perspective because I taught high school English for four years before I went down into seventh and eighth grade. And then I also taught fifth grade for a year. So granted, even though I haven't taught, you know, the lower true elementary grade levels, I have a wide range of knowledge of of what it looks like at a senior and high school, you know, honors level class and how so much of that trickles down to what's actually happening in third, fourth, and fifth grade. So I'm excited to share my perspective from a middle school perspective, but also like, you know, what you're doing is you're setting the foundations as an elementary ELA teacher right now for what can transpire for our students when they get to high school and beyond. So I'm excited to share. That's awesome. Well, you kind of told us a little bit about yourself, but I'd love to hear more just kind of, you know, who you are, your experience as a middle school or even high school teacher. And even talk to us a little bit about what you do now and how you support teachers. Yeah, absolutely. So I am the CEO and co-founder of a company called EB Academics. We work with middle school English teachers. We provide curriculum, professional development opportunities, support, things along those lines. And our mission is to keep great teachers in the classroom. We know without a shadow of a doubt that the biggest indicator in student success is a great teacher. And if you look back probably at your own educational journey, you think about the classes that you loved, it was probably the teacher that you really vibed with, that loved their job, that wanted to be there. And I don't know about you, but I've had some teachers who clearly did not want to be in the classroom, a teacher at all. And quite frankly, like that's why I have this story or had this story for a long time as to why I hated math and wasn't good at math is unfortunately, I just never had great math teachers, but I had phenomenal ELA teachers. And I think that's why I ultimately became an English teacher. You know, I went to college to be an English teacher. Long story short, all kinds of things transpired. And and I taught high school English for four years. I actually left the classroom. I quit in the middle of my fourth year teaching in March. I was like, I'm out. I can't handle it anymore. I was very disillusioned with education, did not have a supportive admin at all, which was unfortunate because I was a great teacher, you know? And so I went into corporate America for a year. I worked for iHeartRadio, I sold radio advertising. I got to meet Ryan Seacrest and like sit in on them recording a radio show. And I met Usher and all the fun things, right? And I'm just here to tell you that the grass is not greener on the other side, at least it wasn't (laughs) for me. And I realized like I really, my life lacked purpose. And I'm very much a purpose-driven person. And teaching for me was very much a purpose-driven and impact-driven career. So when I went back to the classroom, I went back to teach seventh and eighth grade, and I knew a lot of things needed to change in the way in which I was doing things and showing up in the classroom. And that's really kind of the birthplace of our company, EB. And that's what I do full-time now. So I retired from the classroom about four years ago. The company demanded me to be able to do that and take you know just our impact on education to the next level. So that's who I am. That's what I do. I have about 10 years of actual teaching in the classroom, boots on the ground experience. And I've been running EB for about nine years as well. That is fantastic. I will have to say, side note, Usher and I, I'm so jealous that you met him. I did not know that. He and I are birthday twins. So I, love I have like a strong heart connection to Usher. 
I was just going to interrupt. Just a little usher side note. He is so much shorter than I thought he would be. You know, he's like this larger than life character on stage. And when he sings and all of the things, he's probably my height. Like I bet he's like five, four. He was so, I was like shocked to see how short he was in person, but just a little side note about Usher. (laughs) Interesting. I did not know that about him. Yeah. Well, I love this. I love the perspectives that you are bringing to the show today. I just, this is going to be such a great episode because we're going to have a true, honest conversation between, you know, elementary teachers and our listeners. And then of course you representing the middle school and even high school communities. But hopefully we're going to walk away from this conversation today with a better understanding of what every middle school teacher wishes elementary teachers knew. Yes. So with that, let's jump in. I want to talk first about just the differences in literacy. So what are some of the major differences that you've seen between what we would consider middle school ELA versus upper elementary or elementary ELA? Yeah, you know, I think some of the the foundational things is that are the literary concepts are just much more advanced at the middle school level and the high school level too. You know, we're dealing with things like theme, but at a deeper understanding of it, tone, mood. One of the things that is really important to me or was really important to me in the classroom was the complexity of texts that I was utilizing with my students, the types of conversations that we were having, my ability to help students become critical thinkers as we are reading, you know, critical thinkers, critical writers, things along those lines. And even when I taught fifth grade, that existed. But the level of maturity for my students to be able to handle some of those types of conversations or some of those types of critical thinking questions and discussions that we would have just obviously wasn't the same as teaching seventh and eighth grade and even high school. So I think that, you know, as we get into the middle school grade level, the complexity of texts, the topics that we're talking about are a lot more challenging emotionally. So that level of emotional intelligence that our students need to be able to have to have those types of conversations. And really like from a true perspective of like what's actually happening with reading and writing, students being able to read texts and formulate opinions about those texts and provide evidence from the text that's legitimate evidence, right? And justify that. You know, I know a lot of the writing in the younger grades is based on personal experience of finding evidence to support a position or whatever it might be. But when we get into the middle school grade levels, we're using text evidence. We're reading really difficult passages and texts and have complex questions that we're giving to our students that just really force them to think about things much more differently than they would in the younger grade levels. So I think that's the biggest difference is just the level of conversation the level of literary concepts that we're discussing, the level at which I expect my students to be able to do this at an independent level than me really hand-holding for them, even though we still do quite a bit of hand-holding in middle school, which is fine. But I think those are some of the biggest differences that I wish upper elementary teachers knew that, that this is what we're working toward. So the more that we can start to do some of these things at a lower level, the more prepared they're gonna be when they get to middle school. So I know it's easy to just stick to personal narratives or narrative writing when we're in the lower grades, but students need to be able to analyze a text, to write about a text from the position of having a claim, finding evidence. They can do that in upper elementary and elementary. I've even seen it happen in a first grade classroom at one of the schools that I taught at. So it's possible, but I don't 
find that the majority of elementary teachers are spending as much time in that as they could to really help set students up for success at the middle school level. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I think there are so many different gaps. And I think one of the things is the teachers, elementary teachers specifically, just have this fear of rigor, this fear (laughs) of, you know, I'm pushing my kids too far. They're not ready for this. They have deficits in, you know, other concepts or other areas of literacy, whether it be phonics and phonemic awareness. But I think it's so important to remember that, you know, one, our end goal is comprehension and to be able to Mm -hmm. comprehend the text, you know, evaluate, analyze all those fancy blooms, words, whatever you want to call them. And we have to be preparing them for that, regardless of what deficits they have, that that end goal is still there. So we almost have to be doing two things simultaneously, filling in the gaps, but also preparing them and getting them ready by providing them this type of rigorous experience like you were mentioning. Yes, I could not agree more with that. The fact I, I'm going to try to not be upset about this. <laughs> slow my roll. I get very frustrated when I see teachers saying, well, it's too hard for my students. That's too rigorous for my students. Look, I came from an athletic background. I was a basketball coach. If you say that, that's going to be true, right? But if you ask your athletes or you ask your students or you ask whoever you're working with to rise to a certain level, of the time, they are going to, but we have to give them that belief of self first from us. And who am I to say, oh, that's too hard for my students. That's not my position as the teacher. My position is to say, yeah, maybe this is hard and let me show my students what they're capable of. And so that is one of the things that, that drives me absolutely up the wall. And then I see my students in seventh and eighth grade. I'm like, dude, like, what's the issue? Why, you know, we can't, of course we can do this, right? You know, when I went from teaching high school to middle school, that was an interesting experience actually coming down because I brought all of my literature with me. I taught my eighth graders Othello. Yeah. I taught my seventh graders Julius Caesar, right? Just Shakespeare as an example, right? And two very complex Shakespeare texts with very difficult topics that we read and dealt with and discussed. But I knew that my students could handle it. And I'm not, I wasn't at this like, high achieving school when I did that. I was at a very standard run of the mill, middle of the road school with with students who came from all ends of the spectrum, you know, of social economic status of whatever it was. And I still brought very challenging texts to them because I'm was like, hey, look, this is where we're going. Let's go together. You know? So thank you so much for pointing that out. I think that is hugely important for elementary teachers to remember is yeah our elementary kids can do very difficult things. They absolutely can. And I want to mention or come back to something else you said too, because one of the things I actually just got done with an entire podcast series called the Fab Five of Literacy, where we dove into the five components of literacy. And the very last one, of course, was all about comprehension. And in that episode specifically, I mentioned that I was talking about something very controversial. And that controversial thing was, The fact that literacy is the same or comprehension specifically is the same regardless of what grade you teach. The only thing that changes is the text complexity. Main idea is the same in first grade versus fifth grade versus eighth grade, but it's the text that changes. And so Mm -hmm. it does not matter how you're teaching it is just the text itself has to increase in complexity. And so I love that that's exactly what you mentioned. So like to have that validated from a middle school perspective just makes me go, 
oh, okay, I, you know, I was on the right track, you know, when I was teaching in the classroom and then of course sharing this with teachers. So I love that you mentioned that. I think that is so important to remember. All right, so let's talk, let's get into some beef now. This is the, the part that I've been waiting for. What do you think are some middle school ELA teachers' biggest complaints about their incoming students coming straight from elementary school? Yeah, so this is a great question. And I would say it's a complaint that a freshman in high school English teacher has of students coming in from the middle school level too. It's kind of the same thing. That is that, that students really can't write typically when they come to mm-hmm. us in middle school. In terms of being able to write a well-put-together, well-thought-out paragraph, I don't know what it is. I don't know how you guys teach writing in elementary school. (laughs) But when students would come to me in middle school, it's choppy. It's all over the place. It's not focused writing. They're writing things like, my quote is important, or thank you so much for reading my essay, or in this essay, I'm going to tell you, or all of those, you know, personal pronouns that are being used. So I think you know, again, this is a generalized statement, but it seems like what we would see is a lot of the times in elementary, we're writing about ourselves. We're writing a lot of personal narrative type writing, which is fantastic and is a standard. And it's something that we do in middle school too. We 100% touch on narrative writing. But I do think that there is a lot to be said, especially if you look at the Common Core State Standards for ELA. That's the basis through which all of our programs are created is on that foundation because it's just a common language. It makes sense. But if you look at Teeks, if you look at Florida Best, if you look at all the other state standards that we're just like, we're not doing Common Core, we're going to go do our own thing. And you were like, thank you for doing that. So we appreciate that. It's all very similar, right? It is. Yeah. It's all very, very similar. There are some nuances here and there that are a little bit different, 100%. But if you look at like the reading for literature standards or the reading for informational text standards, a lot of them are asking students to formulate a claim, to find evidence, and to provide justification for their position. Even at the lower level, it just sounds a little bit different or it looks a little bit different to your point with not as complex text. And so we can't just ignore that this is a part of what we get to do or what you guys get to do as elementary teachers, because if you guys can do that at a very, very basic level and very, very foundational level in elementary school, that allows us at the middle school level to start to run, to start to take them really to a level that they can go, but they just don't necessarily have that prior foundation because maybe they weren't getting it in elementary school. And what's beautiful about that is at least at EB, we use something called the EBW approach. It's evidence-based writing. It's all literary analysis-based. Is It allows students to have discussions at a much higher level of very complex and difficult texts. And what happens in a classroom is when we have at the middle school level, all of these students with all of these different ideas and different viewpoints and sharing things, we are having rich discussions that are preparing them for not only high school, but really, really quite frankly, the real world. When they get in, who knows what the heck they're going to do? Maybe they're going to be lawyers and they need to know how to justify their evidence, right? And Mm -hmm. argue a point. Or maybe they're going to be a speaker on stage. Well, they need to be able to talk about these types of things eloquently. But if I'm still stuck teaching them the basics, I'm not able to take them to the next level in some of these other areas of ELA that I want to be able to. So I think the fact that typically speaking, students can't even write a basic paragraph, that they're using a lot of personal pronoun language, that they're saying things like this paper is going to be about, or thank you so much for writing this. Writing isn't focused is typically what we find. It's mostly surface level. It's short. It's choppy. We're not working really on like fluency of writing, you know, and and diction and word choice, which 100% you can do. 
I taught fifth grade for a year. Granted, bless their hearts. They were so sweet. They would give me hugs, but that is like so not my vibe. I could not stay in fifth grade (laughs) for the past year, but it's possible. You know, they 100% absolutely can do this level of writing, even at a basic level, so that when they get to us, we just get to go, you know? I love that. And I, I can't say that I, I agree. I do agree with you. But of course, you know, I'm asking your perspective. So I, I did not know this. So I appreciate you bringing this. And I think one of the biggest issues, honestly, is that as elementary teachers, we see writing as this cumulative experience in literacy. And so when there are so many deficits, when students come to us with the inability to decode words, can't read fluently, have no vocabulary, can't comprehend, then writing gets pushed to the side so frequently. A hundred percent. And so it almost goes back to the point we were making before where rigor, right, has to be in place. All of these things need to be happening at the same time to ensure that our students are well-rounded and well-prepared. If you continue to, I'm trying to create like this awesome metaphor that people are going to talk about, you know, for days on end. (laughs) But if, if you try to like, patch a brick wall as it's being built, you're never going to complete the wall. It's just going to keep going and you're just going to continue having holes and holes. You have to teach tier one with fidelity and rigor at the same time that you are teaching and filling in holes with tier two and tier three. Therefore, if we are doing that, then the writing component will not be pushed to the side. Yeah. One thing I love that, that's a great metaphor. And one thing that I want to say too, we will remember that. For years to come. I have to say, though, I did not expect writing to be your answer, but it makes, yeah. now that I've kind of reflected on my own experience and what, what I just shared, it makes sense. And I can see teachers, elementary teachers out there agreeing that, you know, if they can't decode the text and they can't read the text fluently or comprehend the text, how in the world do you expect them to write about the text and, and write claims and evidence? But again, this is where you have to be doing kind of both at the same time, which is extremely difficult, but it's where, you know, your tier one instruction has to be on point to where then you have less tier two instruction and less tier three instruction to be picking up. Yeah. And Sierra, that reminded me of what I was just going to say is in middle school, and I don't know how you guys structured an elementary school all the time, but Students write about what they read about. Mm -hmm. So the writing inherently lends itself to reading comprehension, lends itself to vocabulary development, lends itself to a lot of those things that we need to teach from a reading perspective. And it is actually interesting. What I found is a shift starts to occur like in fifth grade, sixth grade is you guys spend a lot of time in reading and not a lot of time in writing to your point of what you just said. But then they get to us and it moves. And it starts to kind of shift its balance where there isn't a lot of time necessarily spent on reading comprehension, on phonics, on decoding and things like that. There's much more time spent on critical analysis, on writing, on discussions, on speaking and listening skills at a high level. Because when they get to high school, teachers aren't spending time talking about reading. You're just reading mm-hmm. at home you know, and reading the text and then coming to class and talking about it because that's where, that's the goal of what we want to get our students to. So it is kind of this like interesting dance as students kind of go through this experience. But if at an elementary level, 
you guys could not forget about writing or not let writing fall to the wayside, that really allows us to elevate students to a very, very high level when they get to us in middle school, which is what we're, we're after, what we're trying to do. You know, I went and observed actually. So even though I taught middle school English, when I came back and taught seventh and eighth grade in my local area where I live now, years later, I went to the local high school and I observed five different classes of what they were doing in their English classes. How were they teaching writing? How were they talking about literature? What were they doing? Because I wanted to make sure that my students in eighth grade had all of the skills that they needed to have so that they would be successful when they got to high school. So if you have the opportunity or can create the opportunity for yourself to do something like that, I guarantee you a middle school ELA teacher is going to welcome you with open arms into their classroom and is more than happy to share. Because to see to see that in action, right, to like watch that unfold, and this is what's expected of my eighth graders when they get to high school next year or when they get to sophomore year or junior year, like, okay, that's a little, little fire. Like now I know very clearly I can see it has become abundantly clear to me of, of what needs to be in place for my kids the moment that they leave me at the end of the year so they are successful when they get to high school. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I think that's one of the most profound professional developments a teacher could do for themselves. And I think, too, that, you know, teachers in the middle school environment would absolutely be open to that because they're going to be like, finally, I'm, you know, my I'm being seen. I'm being heard like you're trying to help my job. Absolutely. If they would say no, then that that's just idiotic. But I want to go back to the point, too, that you mentioned, you know, reflecting now on my own time in the classroom, writing was a separate subject. It was a separate block of time. Like, you know, I had my reading block and then maybe even we like broke for specials or lunch or whatever was in there. And then we would come back and we would have a separate writing time. They were not cohesive. They did not really communicate with each other. Now that is my own experience, but I do know that there are tons of teachers out there who have similar setups like I had too. And there isn't a lot of time in the reading block to actually do writing with the text that you're doing. So I can see for your more upper elementary teachers how trying to bring those two worlds together in a more cohesive way could absolutely support students as they go on into middle school. It's a beautiful thing. I mean, we we even see still actually some of our EB teachers who utilize our programs still teach reading and writing separately. And they have two different teachers, a teacher for reading and a teacher for writing. And it it creates a lot of challenges for them. And my last school that I was at, they had them as separate grades. They had them as separate subjects. They had them at separate times. And I was like, no, no. I'm like, that's not what we're doing, actually. I'm a little (laughs) aggressive when it comes to what I feel is the right thing for students. And I just told my principal, I was like, look, this is not what I'm doing. This is not how I'm doing this. So instead of giving them two separate grades, a grade for reading and a grade for writing, because there was so much overlap in the way that I taught ELA, is I just gave, I put the same grades in everything. So all of the grades went in both reading and writing. And parents were like, what are you doing? I'm like, look, trust me, it's going to be fine. And I'm also of the ilk, like, what are you going to do? Fire me? Do you know what I mean? Like nine times out of 10, like you're not going to get fired for doing the right thing for your students, hopefully. But I think too, you know, that is really important to understand if, if you think about it from this perspective, whatever you guys are reading in class, like a text that you're reading in class, you could very easily give students a question that is a, a text-based question that they could then formulate a paragraph about. So they are taking what they've read and they are writing about it. 
So they're reflecting on what they are reading. It actually reinforces their reading comprehension anyways, because they've got to go back to the text. They really have to understand the context of the piece of evidence that they're choosing. And look, I get grammar is a different beast. We can talk about that separately because we do have to use writing as a part of teaching our grammar because students do need to understand all of that. And periods, I'm sure when you're in elementary school, (laughs) exclamation marks and all that stuff that you guys get to deal with. But I do think that there is a place to be able to incorporate some level of how are we writing about what we are reading about as a class. I love that. So if you are listening and you are an upper elementary teacher, this is just something to think about, reflect on, of course, and see what changes can you make in your classroom to help merge these two worlds together, to be more intentional about your instruction and about the application that your students are doing with comprehension and with writing to better now support your students when they move on into middle school. So thank you. And it doesn't have to be crazy. Like what no, I just said, not at all. ask them one question and have them write one paragraph, like once a week. That's better than nothing, you know? Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. So let's keep digging down. So writing obviously is a pretty big umbrella. What would you say or share or some maybe bigger gaps when it comes to standards in ELA when it comes to, you know, elementary versus middle school students? Where do you see maybe some other specific gaps? Grammar. Grammar. A hundred percent. We're all rolling our eyes at you and turning (laughs) off the podcast now because we don't care. (laughs) I'm just kidding. Oh my God, that's serious. That is, there are huge gaps in the language standards. So I will have sixth graders, I'll have seventh graders, I'll have eighth graders who don't know what a noun is, who don't know what a verb is. Granted, maybe they've been taught it, but it didn't stick or whatever, right? So what we find ourselves doing every single year as middle school teachers is we find ourselves spending like the first month or two of school revisiting what we believe are like, dude, didn't, why didn't you learn this in second grade? Or why didn't you learn this in third grade? And probably they did right? But to an extent, I don't know. And what's interesting is like, if you look at the Common Core State Standards for ELA, language and grammar is such a small piece of the puzzle that I don't know if now it's getting left behind and being completely forgotten about and not being taught at all. But what happens is, is we cannot teach complex writing skills if students do not have the foundations of very basic grammar skills. So for example, if we're trying to teach our students in eighth grade how to write, you know, just more eloquently with more flow in their writing, less choppy sentences. Well, we want to be able to use terminology like, okay, let's see if we can make this a complex sentence. Or how could you put a dependent clause before your independent clause? Well, that conversation can't happen unless a student knows the difference between a subject and a predicate. Well, that can't happen unless they know the difference between a noun and a verb. And so we spend all of this time at the beginning of the year going back to the very, very, very basics of language standards before we can even get to like what a gerund is in February. You know what I mean? And so it's like, yeah, maybe you probably, like you might not know what a gerund is. I didn't know what a gerund was until I came back and taught middle school. I was like, what the heck is this thing? Or like direct objects. I'm like, damn, I got to relearn all of this stuff, right? To teach middle school grammar. But all of that stuff matters in being able to have conversations about how we can enhance our writing and become better and more effective communicators, which really at the end of the day, look, it's ELA, it's great. Maybe some of our students are going to be writers, but the majority of them aren't. However, all of the skills that we are teaching them in ELA class, I believe as an ELA teacher, obviously, 
are extremely important for them to be able to be effective communicators in the real world in order to find a great job, in order to be able to write an effective email to their boss, in order to be able to be interviewed well when they're on a Zoom interview with somebody, right? All of these skills that we're teaching in ELA aren't just about reading, aren't just about writing. To me, they are basic human skills that they need to be able to have to be successful in the real world, in real world application. So long story short, grammar. (laughs) (laughs) One word, grammar. Yes. (laughs) Well, I will say in our defense as elementary teachers, we swear we taught it. We did teach it. I believe Oh my goodness. But I think it goes back to everything that we mentioned with the writing. Like it's a separate subject time. Like it's not cohesively taught in writing or even with reading. It's just too chunked. It's all chunked separately and it seemed a separate world. When in reality, when you say ELA, it's all one beautiful world and experience. And unfortunately, it's not taught that way in elementary. So yeah, I can absolutely see how there would be gaps in that. And I can see how it all kind of fits together to create one bigger picture. And I agree with you that ELA absolutely is connected to the world that they're going to experience outside the four walls of middle school and high school. And even, you know, going into undergrad or wherever their educational journey takes them, it makes a difference. Yeah. I want to add on to kind of what we're talking about with grammar, especially because you just said something so important is it really is taught in this like little silo. Mm -hmm. And it was like that in middle school too, for a long time. And then, so Jessica, who's the other co-founder of EB Academics with me, what we teach our teachers to do is yeah, grammar, we do believe in teaching direct instruction. Like we very much do. I'm not a super mentor text fan in terms of grammar. I apologize if that, you know, ruffles some feathers. That's just my perspective. But we do believe in teaching direct instruction on a concept first, doing fun hands-on activities with that particular grammar skill. But then the key is application to writing. How are we taking this grammar concept and bringing it over here into writing where it actually matters, right? Because to a student to be learning about a gerund and grammar and taking notes on a PowerPoint and doing an activity on a handout, and then that's it. Well, of course that has no relevance to them. They don't understand why this concept is actually going to be beneficial to them in their writing, which again, if we make that real world connection, hey, I'm actually not teaching you how to write. I'm teaching you how to be an effective communicator so that you're successful in whatever you do in life. That is a totally different why for learning what a gerund is versus completing a worksheet and then completing a test and maybe passing. You know what I mean? Absolutely. And by the way, what is a gerund? (laughs) It is a verb that's acting as a noun. (laughs) Okay, got it. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. I'm glad I knew the answer. (laughs) I was going to Google it after we were done talking, but I was like, why not just ask the expert right here? Because I guarantee you I was not the only one thinking that this entire time. No, but I I completely agree. And I've honestly thought that same thing when it comes to phonics and spelling. Like, why are we not integrating our phonics instruction in grades, you know, first, second, third grade into writing? Why are we not using that lens to analyze and support our students in these other areas of literacy when they are actually applying and using it. Like, it doesn't make sense. It's like we have these puzzle pieces 
but we're not connecting them. We're not creating this bigger picture for our students. We just have these spelling lists, these spelling patterns, these phonics rules or whatever, and we teach them great, but there's no connection. There's no application to where it really matters. And for grammar and spelling and phonics, it all matters when they apply it to writing. Yes. Snaps that. (laughs) Snaps, snaps, snaps. Awesome. All right. So let's get into this. What do you think are three things, one, two, three, that every ELA middle school teacher wishes elementary school teachers knew? I feel like we could write a book on this, but we're going to keep it to three. Three things. So I wrote them down so that I wouldn't forget. Number one is stop having students use personal pronouns in text-dependent writing. So if they're writing about a text, we don't want them to say, I think. Like, we know you think that. It's your paper. We don't need you to write that. <laughs> because it's very difficult to get students to forget that, right? So it's like, I think, or my paper is going to be about, or my belief is, we don't need to know that. We know it's your paper, right? And what we're trying to do is we're trying to get students to write these very eloquent analytical papers. And we've got to kind of backtrack when they get to middle school. And I'm telling you, on my eighth graders, on my whiteboard, I would write in big letters, like the I, the letter I, me, my, and like, and you, you as the reader. I'm like, don't tell me as the reader what I'm feeling. I'm like that. You don't know how I feel. You know what I mean? You don't know me. You know exactly that I go through with my eighth graders. And I do like a big X through it and like I'm super aggressive to tell them like, if you put this in your paper, blah, blah, whatever. This is why I taught middle school and not elementary school. So that's number one for us. Narrative writing, different. Narrative writing is a different thing. But I'm talking about text-dependent, literary analysis, analytical writing, when students are writing about the things that they're reading about. Number two is the importance of knowing how to find relevant evidence in a text and the basics of citing it correctly. Mm -hmm. That is huge. And then the last one is a little bit different, not as writing focused, but how to get students to efficiently pick out a book during independent reading time and not just wander about the library. They're still doing that in middle school? Yes. (laughs) That Believe me, that that is definitely a pet peeve of ours in elementary school as well. (laughs) It seems like a universal problem. (laughs) It is. And I, I, I honestly believe it's just a, you know, it's a student's way of one, wasting time and Two, they just haven't found who they are as a reader yet. Yeah. Yet. And that just goes into more exposure with different genres and new authors and finally, you know, hopefully finding someone that they connect to that will open up a world. But once they have that connection with that who or what, then they won't be, they'll go straight to the place in the library that houses those types of books. Yes. And they'll dive right in. So yeah, I, that's something that I definitely preach over with my teachers that I, you know, support on my platform. But, you know, book matching relentlessly is one of our first and foremost jobs as reading teachers because we have to find that connection for them. That can't be their job. That's our job. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. My son is six, so he's in kindergarten. I redshirted him. I gave him an extra year. That, by the way, came from Cult of Pedagogy, Jen Gonzalez. Have you ever listened to her podcast before? That's who I want to be when I grow up. Yes. <laughs> Beautiful. So you know exactly what I'm talking about. Yeah. She had this podcast episode about redshirting your kindergartner. And I kind of had like in my mind that I wanted to do it anyways. Just he's an August birthday. I didn't want him to be the youngest in his class. I wanted him to have the opportunity to be a leader, you know, not necessarily like whatever. So I listened to her podcast episode. I was like, all right, sold. Like I'm redshirting him. Anyway, so he's a sixth grader who's in kindergarten. 
or he's a six-year-old who's in kindergarten and he's just learning how to read. And at home, we will read, we read to him every night for 45 minutes, my husband and I chapter books, and we'll read like the Hardy Boys or like mystery stories. Or there's this great series with like, oh my gosh, if your kids are, if you have any students who are into sports, there are like these baseball mystery series books where they travel around to like a bunch of different baseball stadiums. Do you know what I'm talking about? No, but I need to know this because I, my youngest is a baseball player and he also loves like Magic Treehouse. So like this is combining two of his favorite worlds. So I have to know what this series is. Oh, I can't think. I'll, I will tell, I'll slack it to you afterwards. I'll send you the information. Maybe you can put it in the show notes for your listeners. But like he, this is, he knows. Like that's what he enjoys reading. And he loves it. And so reading for him is every night, one more chapter, please. One more chapter. Like, you know, he's so into this. And it's because we found something that he likes mm-hmm. into it. Like it, it just aligns for him, you know? And so for you guys as elementary school teachers to be able to do that for our, our students, when they get to middle school, they at least kind of have an inkling of the type of reader that they are. You know, I hate being a student who's in eighth grade who really doesn't even know what their interests are when it comes to reading. I'm like, dude, what have you been doing for eight years? You know? Yeah, I can connect with that. I was I was always a great student. I was an A, a B student, you know, nev- nothing that I never fell behind. But I really never considered myself a reader until early adult life, even after college, because I was never really exposed to like the crime, which probably, you know, <laughs> is not really appropriate for high school, but still like, that exposure was never there for me. I never saw myself as a reader until I found that specific genre, the thriller, the crime. Like I now am a reader and that's really all I read. But if that would have happened so much earlier in my educational journey, who knows? I may have gotten better grades. I may have been a better writer. I may have, you know, gotten more scholarships because I was a better writer. Like so many different doors could have opened all because I found who I was as a reader. It is a very powerful thing to experience. So yeah, I love that that made your list. Even as like a media consumer, right? So like reading text, it's, it's just all, form, they're all forms of media, right? They're all forms of consumption of content, right? Mm-hmm. And I even think too, like, I'm not a movie watcher. I do not watch movies. I will fall asleep an hour and a half. You want to hold my attention for two hours? Like that ain't happening. I'm not into mysteries. I'm not going to watch some scary crime thing. Like that is just not me. But what's interesting is I've really taken to sports documentaries and I will sit there and watch something about Michael Jordan or, you know, whoever it is for hours on end because it aligns with what I care about, what I'm interested in. So for the longest time, I'm like, I don't watch movies. Like I'm not a movie goer, but if you send me a sports documentary, I'm all in and all about it. And I think the same is true to your point of like, how can we help our students do that at a much earlier age? Like, had I known that about myself earlier, like I just discovered this within the last four years, three years, that this is really what interests me. But that was never really available to me before. It was all just kind of like, these are the types of movies, thrillers or whatever, romantic comedies. Do you know what I'm saying? So it's like, the more we can expose our students to a variety of, hey, you might like this, or hey, you might, let's try this. And allowing students, and we can go off on whole tangent with this, allowing students to stop a book. Oh, you don't like it after the third chapter? No problem. Abandon it. That doesn't matter. You know, there's, I, I don't know. I think that there's so much beauty in allowing students that out. You know, if there's a movie I'm watching that I don't want to watch anymore, I'm turning it off. A hundred percent. 
Yeah. I was the teacher who very much did not let my students abandon books. And it wasn't till more later in my career where I realized how detrimental that was to their reading experience, to their love, their falling in love with reading. So absolutely agree with that. What a beautiful reflection. Can we just appreciate that, that you just shared that? I think so many teachers feel this need to be the best, to never be wrong, to not have deficits. To be able to sit back and reflect like that practice that I was doing maybe wasn't the best thing for my students. If we could all operate from that place, I really think there would be less pressure on us to be perfect because we're not. We're human. We are fallible beings, right? And I think too about like some of the greatest of all time, of all time, Kobe, MJ, Steph Curry. Sorry, it's all going to be basketball players, (laughs) right? But like some of the the goats, right? The greatest of all time. They have coaches. They're constantly practicing. They're always watching film. They're watching themselves back. How can I do that a little bit better? How can I do that a little bit better? That like cycle does not exist in education because I think there's so much fear around doing the wrong thing, probably because there's a lot at stake, right? Our students, their growth, test score. It, well, and the added pressure from admin of having, you know, to have the perfect scores and having to. You know, we're, we're, we need to be considered professional and we need to be considered experts. Well, even experts still have things to learn and things to change and processes to better and whatever it may be. Like, just because we consider ourselves an expert doesn't mean that we're done. Yeah. One of the greatest gifts I've been given was the perspective of always be a learner. Assume you know nothing in any conversation. Because someone is going to say something in some way that's going to have a profound impact on my life. And if I didn't have that lens, I would have ignored or not heard because I would have felt that I was better or that I already knew that information. A hundred percent. I love that. Definitely a philosophy to live by. All right. Well, let's wrap this up. I think I could talk to you for hours and hours about this. (laughs) I'm just loving this conversation and I really hope our listeners are too. So let's leave them on this. What is your best piece of advice for upper elementary teachers who are prepping their students for middle school? Yeah, so this is what we do in middle school and with all of our teachers who've used our writing program is that we make evidence-based writing the cornerstone of our ELA curriculum. So what we were talking about that students write about the things that they are reading about is incredibly important and uh, helping students feel comfortable with have confidence in applying just a basic text-dependent writing framework that can be built upon in middle school. And the reason being is even though I'm talking about writing, yes, it's writing, but it is also applicable to discussions. It's also applicable to like analysis, critical thinking, things along those lines. So we are providing them with writing as the foundation through which to learn this skill that's going to have profound impacts on them. Yes, we need students to know how to read. Yes, decoding is a thing for you guys in elementary. Yes, phonics. Yes, phonemic awareness. Yes, all of those things. And how powerful would it be for your students to, like I said, once a week, what did you guys read this week? Give them a text-dependent question, right? And I'll give you an example of that would be, well, I'll have to give you an example at like a high level. But if students were reading Romeo and Juliet, A question that I would ask my students at the end of reading that text is, who is most responsible for the deaths of Romeo and Juliet? 
And that's what they're writing about. So they're going back to the text. They're interacting with the text. They're engaging with the text again. Even as we're reading, let's say I gave them that question before we read the text, which is what we teach our teachers to do sometimes, is give them that question, who's most responsible? Now, as they're reading, guess what they're looking for? They're looking for evidence. They're reading the text differently. They're more closely engaged with this because they have what we use as an evidence tracker to track evidence throughout the course of the text to support whatever position they're going to take. Maybe they say Friar Lawrence. Maybe it's Romeo. Maybe it's the Montagues or whoever it is that they decide is responsible. But for your third, fourth, fifth graders to be able to do this is going to have a profound impact on them for being able to really set the tone of what the expectation is going to be in the next couple of years at a level that they can understand, you know, so that when they get to us and they can't write a paragraph, which hopefully is not the case if you're using evidence-based writing or this, this style of, of having students write about what they read about, then we can really go deep with essays and really prepare them for high school. Because here's, here's what happens and here's what we have seen occur, at least for me as a high school English teacher. So I'm in California. And our UC system, right, our, our University of California, Berkeley, Davis, whatever, all of the UCs in California, I don't know what number it is, so I don't want to give you the wrong statistic, but a huge percentage of high schoolers that are going into college are not even ready for the basic English level college course. They have to be remediated at the UC level before they can even go into a standard English course. That to me, is unacceptable. And so what are we doing now in third, fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth grade to prepare them for high school so that when they get to high school, the high school teachers can do what they need to do to elevate students to the level that we're not remediating 18-year-olds when they're going into the UC system in our, our in California or whatever, you know, other states or places that students are are going into. So for me, making evidence-based writing the cornerstone of ELA is a it's a game changer. I know it's a totally different perspective. It's a totally different way of thinking about things. I know science of reading is so huge in middle or in, in elementary school, which we totally agree with. We actually, interestingly enough, just recorded a podcast episode for our podcast on science of reading this morning. So it's all all ELA day happening. <laughs> but when you make that the cornerstone of 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 everything that you're doing, your conversations are richer. Students are more engaged with the text. They're better able to comprehend what they're reading about because they have a lens through which to read what they're reading because they're looking for things. It's it's a powerful way in which to, to teach ELA. That is very much a powerful reflection. And if I were in the classroom and for people who are listening, for teachers who are in the classroom, if you're you know an upper elementary school teacher, my reflection and my thought process right now would just be, how can I create a more cumulative world experience? for these two subjects that in the past have been kind of secluded from one another. I need to be better and more intentional about bringing these two worlds together and creating an experience where they can support each other. And so whatever that looks like for your state standards, you know, for your ELA, your writing, whatever that may be, how can I be more intentional about bringing these two worlds together and creating one experience where both worlds support each other? Yes. I, they get to be independent of each other and interdependent, right? So yes. both can be true. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. I love that. Well, Caitlin, this was just fantastic. I'm so glad 
that we had you on the show today. And I truly hope that everyone listening now has a better grasp and understanding of how the two worlds of elementary school ELA and middle school ELA connect. I just loved your insights, the advice that you gave, and our conversation. Man, this was just mind-blowing. And I hope listeners out there also took away some special nuggets to reflect on and maybe even to help improve the relationship between themselves and their own middle school teachers in their districts. So listeners, make sure to check the show notes. I'm going to drop links in there below on how you can follow and connect with Caitlin if you want to learn more, or if you have maybe some middle school besties that maybe need some more support in their world, definitely send them the information below with Caitlin and EB Academics. They're definitely going to want to check her out. She's amazing. So Caitlin, of course, thank you so much for being on the show. Like I said, this was just fantastic. Thank you so much for having me. It was a blast. I hope your listeners took maybe just even one thing away, right? That's always my thing when I when I go to anything, I'm listening to anything. It's so easy to be overwhelmed, like, holy cow, that was a lot of information. But for me, it's like, what's the one thing? What's the one thing I'm going to do? What's the one thing I'm going to take away? What's the one belief that's going to be different that's going to have some sort of a domino effect for me? And like Sierra said, if you guys have any questions at all, feel free to send us a message on Instagram. We're at EB Academics basically everywhere. I'm happy to respond, happy to reply. My business partner, Jessica, taught third, fourth, and fifth grade for years. So she has that lens through which to you know, help you in this capacity as well. So don't hesitate to reach out. We're here for you. And thank you so much, Sierra, for having me. It was honestly really fun. <laughs> I really had a blast talking about Eli. <laughs> this was great. And thank you. And that wraps up yet another eye-opening episode. We hope you found our conversation with Caitlin really enlightening. It was so honest and so productive. It was just a fantastic conversation. And to be very honest, I had no idea where that conversation was going to go when I created these questions. The questions really just came from a place of like, this is really what I wanted to know when I was in the classroom. So I have a feeling other teachers feel the same. So I really hope you enjoyed this. So be sure to check out Caitlin and Jessica's podcast, Teaching Middle School ELA. If you have a middle school bestie, pass it along to them. And of course, their YouTube channel, EB Academics for Middle School ELA Teachers. And of course, if today's episode resonated with you, don't forget to leave us a review on your favorite podcast platform. Your feedback is like fuel for our mission to bring you engaging and informative content. And of course, for a treasure trove of resources, courses, and community support tailored for middle school ELA teachers, head over to EB Academics. Your journey to empowering teaching awaits. All of her information and links are in the show notes. So just drop down there and grab them. And so thank you again for joining us inside the Literacy Lounge. And we'll see you over in the next episode. We hope you enjoyed today's episode of the Literacy Lounge with Sierra Harris. You can find any of the resources mentioned in the show notes at sierraharristeaching.com slash podcast. If you're looking for more support with close reading, download the free close reading guidebook at www.buildingcomprehension.com slash close dash reading dash guidebook. Until next time, happy reading.